0: You may be seated. Well, I'm glad to be with you here today for one of my quarterly times of preaching. It's a good thing, isn't it? Because that way when Laura comes back, you can really say, man, I really appreciate your preaching, Laura. (laughs) Just a good, you know, give you a contrast what you could be getting, you know, so. um, So anyway, so uh, this morning, if you have your Bibles and you can take in Mark chapter 1, I'm going to read verses 16 through 20. I'm going to jump to another verse here in a second, but we'll stay on this one here first. Mark chapter 1, 16 through 20. One day as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew throwing a net into the water. They fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, Come, follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. A little farther up the shore, Jesus saw Zebedee's sons, James and John, in a boat repairing their nets. He called them at once, and they also followed him, leaving their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men. And then we're going to jump over to Acts chapter 12, 1 through 2, and I'll just read it real quick. About the time King Herod Agrippa began to persecute some believers in the church, he had the apostle James... John's brother, killed with a sword. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Wasn't that last verse just so uplifting? (laughs) You know, Herod had him killed. Okay, next verse, you know. Um, But it's significant because the person that James is talking about is the James we're going to be talking about today. Um, So first of all, though, let's lighten the moment. And uh, guys, go ahead and roll that video um, and when you're watching this, let me ask you the question, you ever have trouble following? <sighs> and still trying. And still trying. Almost. Almost. Oh, almost. Almost. Hey, <laughs> Yay! Yay. They made it. All right. There's one more, one more, one more, one so, more. So all the ducks, you've probably seen this before, you know, ducklings following the mother around the pond or wherever. Okay, here's another group of them. walking along, just mind their own business, following, oh boy, and the wind comes up. <laughs> and, and they're still going. And they're still going. Ooh ooh, ooh, ooh. Don't worry, no chicks were hurt in the making of this video. Um, oh, poor things. Look at that. But they recover. And there they go. All right, so they made it, made it safety, and you'll see it fade off here, yeah, a little shake of the head, and mama's going to lead the chicklings, little little uh, ducklings, excuse me, to, uh, away in a row. You ever have trouble following? <laughs> you ever felt like one of those little ducklings and just have trouble following? I know I do sometimes because I want to trust myself more than I want to trust God or just trust other people in general. And so I have trouble following sometimes. We're in a series right now entitled The Twelve, talking about the twelve disciples of Jesus. And today we're talking about James the martyr. And why is he called James the martyr? Because of what we just read in Acts chapter 12, 1 through 2, when Herod Agrippa had him killed, run through with a sword. We know it was the proper James because in parentheses it says John's brother, the author notates and makes sure we know which James it was. He was the first apostle, the first disciple to be killed for his faith. So he has been given the title of James the Martyr. Basic definition of a martyr is someone who dies for what they believe in. And nowadays, for where we live, we are so blessed with freedoms. Even though if we think those freedoms are shrinking, whatever your opinion is on that, we still live in a pretty free society compared to other countries around the world. There's an organization in my hometown called Voice of the Martyrs that ministers to those around the world who are persecuted for their faith. It started out as Christian Mission to the Communist World, smuggling in Bibles and literature into communist countries. It's founded by a guy by the name of Richard Wormbrand. He was an Anglican and a Lutheran priest, and he was put into a Romanian prison in 1944. And he spent 14 years in prison for preaching the gospel. Then finally, he was let out. And then finally, the communist regime, when Ceaușescu, when his power fell, and the communist party lost its influence there, he was able to go back to the very cell that... He had occupied that very building and turn it into a place where they printed Bibles and Christian literature in the very same place. God had redeemed that whole situation. So some of us are not going to be called to be persecuted for our faith. Probably not. No one's going to be putting a gun to our head or a sword to our neck and asking us to renounce Christ. But there are other ways other ways that we can um, live for Christ. Okay, let's look at um, James real quick. Let's just share some facts about him. He's not to be confused with James. I know you're confusing him with this guy. James, the son of Alphaeus, or James, the brother of Jesus. Okay, those are a couple of James mentioned in the Bible. Uh, don't confuse him with them. Older brother of John, the disciple, the famous John. Yes, that John, as in the book of John and the book of Revelation and others. He's also known as a son of Zebedee. And Zebedee must have been a successful businessman because that passage we read, it said he had hired men. And to be a fisherman on the Sea of Galilee um, and you have hired men, you're doing pretty good. And plus, uh, in other places, it's it's mentioned several times, those guys are identified as the sons of Zebedee. And so Zebedee must have been known in the region and been an important person. Um, it's because of this influence, they uh, often would quarrel about who's the greatest. And you kind of wonder if James kind of was like, he was used to having it in his way, coming from a privileged family. And uh, even one time, James and John's mother came to Jesus and said, you know, requested, can my son sit on your right and your left in heaven? And uh, right in front of all the disciples, and it caused a stir. And so... Um, there is this picture of him being from a pretty well-to-do family. He was part of Jesus' inner circle, along with Peter, Simon Peter, and James's brother John. They were considered the inner circle. We see them many times um, in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus prays with them with different healings, the Mount of Transfiguration. They were there. They were the only ones there. Not all the disciples were there, so he was a trusted one. They were known as the sons of thunder. He was a son of thunder. Um, him and John, Jesus' nickname for them was the sons of thunder. And the reason they speculate that is that he was passionate, and he was outspoken, and would speak his mind. In fact, one time there's an instance in the Bible where they were traveling through Samaria, and the villagers had rejected Jesus, and so they wanted James wanted to call down fire from heaven like Elijah and destroy them. He was passionate. So that's a little background on James, but what what can we find from his life that we can live by? I want us to learn from Mark chapter 8, actually a story that involves all the disciples, I think that best describes what it is to follow the heart of Jesus, Mark 8, 31 through 38. We're picking it up kind of mid-story here, but... um, Jesus turned around and looked at his disciples, then reprimanded Peter. Get away from me, Satan. He said, you are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. Then calling the crowd to join his disciples, he said, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul. If anyone is ashamed of me and my message in these adulterous and sinful days, the Son of Man will be ashamed of that person when he returns in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. So at the beginning of that chapter 8, there's the miraculous miracle of feeding of uh, 5,000 with, uh, with loaves, seven loaves and fishes. So we see this miraculous miracle of God. And the Pharisees wanted to see a sign of proof after he did this miracle. And Jesus refused to give them a sign. At Bethsaida, he had healed a blind man, and he continued to minister all these crowds and feeding the multitude, and they were asking for a sign. And Jesus then asked the question, Who do you say that I am? And he got various answers. He got John the Baptist. He got Elijah, one of the prophets. And Jesus asked Peter directly Simon Peter, he looked at him and said, Who do you say that I am? And he answered, You're the Christ. From this point on, Jesus started teaching them about things that would lead up to his death. And would be a transition in his ministry. And and he started teaching about what was going to happen that he was going to be crucified and be risen again on the third day. And Peter got indignant and, and strongly objected. He said, "If I have anything to do about it, this, won't happen to you." And Jesus recognized that same temptation in him that he sensed in the wilderness. And he told Peter, go away from me, Satan. You don't care about these things. But then he comes on to say this. He started speaking to the crowd, and Jesus said, if anyone comes after me, he must do three things. Deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Jesus turns to the crowd and says three things. Deny deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. To that crowd, it was probably stunning for him to say that, uh, as this teacher, this rabbi. They're asking; uh, he's asking us to take an instrument of death and pick it up and carry it. What? You know, must have been so confusing to them. So we want to take a second and look at these three real quick. First one is to deny oneself. It means more than just giving up something. Uh, During Lent, we give up, don't we, Uh, often, many of us, a food item or a luxury item or TV or whatever it might be during Lent. That's not the kind of denial we're really talking about here. Uh, That's a good and noble thing, but that's not what we're talking about. Um, The main thing is this. He was talking about the process of becoming true disciples. If anyone wants to be my disciple, then he has to be different from what he is Now. You have to be different. You have to be in process of changing in the person Christ wants you to be. The Greek word used here for deny is a strong one. It's the same one used when Peter denied Jesus in the courtyard. It means to state that you have no connection with something to state. That you're not connected in any way whatsoever. And whatever is in view. Deny here is not the same as what we usually mean by self-denial when we're giving up something. Jesus is talking about giving up our self-sufficiency. He's talking about us giving up control of our lives to the control of God and surrendering on a daily basis our will to his. In the message version of the Bible, it says that anyone who who intends to come with me has to let me lead. You're not in the driver's seat. I am. 1 Corinthians 6 says, you're not your own, you are bought with a price. And Jesus is saying, if you you are going to follow me, you no longer are yourself, you are mine, and I am in control. But you see, I don't, (laughs) some of us, that's easier than others. Uh, Some of us are control freaks, and so uh, that's a very hard thing to do. We can say that, and we can sing that, but to give up control and trust and faith in God is one of the hardest things to do. Remember this, that the basic intent of this denial is this, that you're under new management, that your life is under the authority of God and not under your own. Second thing he says is take up up your cross. Actually, take up his cross. What's this mean? It means uh, that some people think that they're taking up their cross when they're suffering with sickness and disease. You know, we all want the crown but not the cross. The words take up in the Greek here mean... Take oneself and carry what has been raised or taken up to bear it, okay? So actually to pick it up and carry the thing. The purpose of the cross is to remove something ungodly out of your life and to bring you into the resurrection life. God isn't asking you to merely deny the desires and the longings of your flesh, but he's truly asking you to surrender to his will and his power. And I think the main point here is this. That it's a daily process. Every morning when you wake up, you are saying with intention that God, today I'm going to live for you. I'm going to have your eyes. Holy Spirit, I'm going to be sensitive to your leading today and to follow you, God. The third thing is then follow me. This means obey me. Let him, um, we are to obey God. Not just when we feel like it, but daily. There's a story told of a couple of kids were overheard in Sunday school one time, and one kid was telling the other kid that, you know, my Sunday school teacher keeps uh, telling me I need to follow Jesus, but my mama doesn't even let me uh, leave my backyard. <laughs> so how am I supposed to follow Jesus if I can't even leave my backyard? Well, for us, as we know, Is more than just a physical following. It's for us to surrender daily in our spirit to Him. And that is what we are called to do. And we're called to do it on a daily basis. So we're going to wrap up this today, and we're going to watch a video here in a second. And as we watch this video, it's one of just a soundtrack, no talking, just text images on the screen, different phrases to make you stop and think about what it means to follow Jesus. Because basically when we talk about following Jesus, we can either be like the crowd, all the crowds that followed Jesus around and he did the miracles for, who never changed, never really truly followed him, or we can be like one of his true disciples and follow him with our whole heart on a daily basis. That is a choice we have to make, the crowd or the cross. So as we watch this, just let the Holy Spirit minister to your heart. Dear God, as we we take a moment here and we just take stock of where we're at with you, we just want you, Holy Spirit, to come and examine our hearts now. And may we truly be called a true follower of you, Jesus. And not go the way of the crowd, the way of this world, that we follow the ways of Christ. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for you give us the power and strength to do this, to live this life. We don't have to do it in our own strength and power. And We say thank you. And we pray, dear God, that as we leave this place today, here in a moment, that you would just give us even more strength and power by your Holy Spirit to live as Jesus lived. And we thank you in advance for all of this, in Jesus' name, amen. Once you stand, we're gonna sing our closing song. We're gonna sing that song actually that was on the video. Um, as we sing this, make it your prayers, surrender to God.